Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, music fans. My name is Joe Armstrong, and thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Mojo Monkeys. David Raven, Billy Watts, and Taras Pradanyuk make their living making other people sound good. Their collective credits include albums and tours with Bruce Springsteen, Nora Jones, Dwight Yoakam, Bonnie Raitt, Keith Richards, June Carter Cash, Lucinda Williams, Mike Ness, Dixie Chicks, Richard Thompson, Jim Lauderdale, Peter Hillman, Buck Owens, T-Bone Burnett, and countless others. They're journeymen in top form. They're still on the journey, and they've been friends for decades. After spending so much time backing up other artists, they long ago decided to start their own trio, Mojo Monkeys, as a place to get their collective musical rocks off. The years of hard work shows in Mojo Monkeys. Unconstricted by a big name on a marquee, these guys can follow their own muse. There are funky grooves and expert lines that duck in and out of a greasy and spicy New Orleans-influenced musical stew. For all their chops, the band never veers into ponderous wanking territory. Put another way, Mojo Monkeys isn't a side project that provides a bleeder valve for gratuitous sideman musical eccentricities. It's a place where three friends who happen to be expert musicians can share their common love for making music. Their mutual affection shines through, as does their reverence for the material they create together. Raven takes the lion's share of the lead vocals, standing at a hybrid upright drum set that allows him to better engage the audience by not being confined to a drum riser back between the amps. Watt's harmonic motion on his pale green Gretsch finds him delivering the perfect licks in all the right places, and Pradanuk's bass lines provide counterpoint, as well as doing an exemplary job doing what astute bassists do best, which is making sure that the whole thing hangs together. Their new record, Swerve On, continues the groovy, danceable tack that Mojo Monkeys have defined for themselves over the course of their several records and throws in a bit of the band's eclectic sensibilities for good measure. It's hard not to smile when they do what they do because Mojo Monkeys' music is fun, plain and simple. Welcome to Independence Day, Mojo Monkeys. Hello, gentlemen. How are you? Good. Hey, Joe. Joe. It's good. This is a field trip episode. We are out of the uh, Independence Day World Headquarters in uh, beautiful Glendale, Eagle Rock, California. And we are, what, what kind of, what neighborhood is this, David? This is your home. The Miracle Mile. Miracle Mile area. And thank you, first off, for opening up your home. Yeah. And you guys did a lot of legwork for this field trip episode. There was some yeah. kind of wire crossed. I brought all this gear and then you, I showed up and you guys had twice as much gear set up. We're like all ready to pop here. Yeah. Well, so we were scared. So thank you. Yeah, we were uh, Let's introduce everyone right off the bat so we make sure people know who we're talking with. I'm sitting with like three storied musicians. You guys are great players. That should go without saying. If you want to, people should tune, listen to this episode. You want to hear how to, how to do this thing properly, uh, all proper like. So uh, starting with guitar, this is Billy Watts on guitar and vocal. Say hello, Billy. Hey there, Joe. How are you? I'm great, man. Thank you. And then on drums, Mr. David Raven. Howdy. <laughs> howdy. It's short and sweet. You are from Texas, though, right, originally? Yeah. So Howdy. Heck yeah. Okay, that's how it goes. Okay, and then Taras Prodanik. Prodanik. Yes, Joe. Damn. Well said, lad. Never Close enough. Nuke. So it's, a, it's, it's like an NY. Nuke. Prodan Yuke. Prodan Yuke. Because that's the Uke. thing. Like I. Because I'm Ukrainian. And so like in my Uke. circle of friends, like every single person I know has been like, you know, like I have 
friends of mine who are fans of yours, like specifically as a bass player, and they've all been saying your name incorrectly for like as long as I can remember. Well, that's how I know who they're talking about. <laughs> that's how I can figure yeah. out, oh, they, yeah, they're talking about me. Yeah. Well, like, there's only one Taras. Ever I guess since the, elementary yeah. school, you know. He only they, needs one down. name. It's like yeah. Sting I was going to say, you could be like Sting or, or Bono. Sure. But with Taras, it's not like, you know, or Jim. Fido. Know. It, it, it kind of goes over like a lead balloon when they, every time I try to do that. So I, I, I'm, it's kind of a question process, but. Yeah. Thanks for the thought, though. Thank you, Joe. I'm trying. It's I'm, good to be here. I'm, I'm going to work on through the course of this interview. Uh, I, I take it. It's a matter of pride. I want to get people's names right. It matters to me, especially when your name is Joe Armstrong. It's a pretty boring name, so it's hard to screw that up. <laughs> Maybe you should it's, call yourself Fats. Fats? Perdonyuk? Yeah, but yeah. it doesn't solve the problem pretty, if he calls he's himself still Fats. Go Perdonuk. No, does it? <laughs> you still got Perdonuk to deal with. All right. All right. So first, let's let's jump right in. We've got a lot All of right. things to talk about. You guys are going to play some live songs for us. I can't wait for pe people to hear this. I just saw you guys play recently over at a brand new place in Glendale called the San Fernando. Yeah. Uh, right down by where the airport used to be. And it's a great set. You guys do kind of a, I describe it to people as kind of a, it's a little bit little feet because it's got a groove aspect to it. Um, it's also a little bit rootsy, but it's it, it it's more stylistically open, I think, than even Little Feet is. There's a little jazz mixed in there, a little country mixed in there. Uh, first and foremost, I want to find out. You know, you guys have been playing to this pretty good while, right? You guys oh, yeah. are how many years in are you now? Twenty six. Good lord, something oh right? Twenty six. Yeah, eighty nine. Okay. I think we started. So what? Take me back to like nineteen eighty nine and. Bands that last 26 years, there must be something that makes it work. So what brought you three together to make music together? We initially started, uh, wow, I, I, I'm Taras, by the way. Uh, 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 it Taras. initially started, I think there was a, a club, the, I want to say the Bully Pub. The Bully Pub. The Bully yeah, Pub on right. Ventura Boulevard. And um, uh, I had to put a band together. I was friends with Hubert Tubbs. And I think I had to. I and, and uh, Hubert wanted to do some gigs, and um, so he was the old singer. He was the ex singer from uh, Tower of Power, and so I knew Billy because Billy, Billy and I, incidentally, we played together since we were sixteen, fifteen, and sixteen together. Okay, so two thirds so of this kind of existed in some kind of thing already since way back since when. Way, way back, back when. And so I knew Billy, and Billy came out to California, and we were playing clubs and stuff. And I knew Dave, and I played with Michael Anderson, uh, a singer-songwriter who had a deal. He had a big hit. Maybe it was Memphis, and I played with Dave through that. And actually, I played with Dave earlier in 1984 with uh, Rex Krebs at this club. Bless his heart, he's and passed the good away. Boys. Uh, and the What were they called? And the Good Boys. And the Good Boys at Club Genesis. In Saugus. It was a bowling alley. It was a bowling alley. <laughs> <laughs> and Dave was, the, Dave was the drummer. And um, so I played, I bounced around with Dave, but I think it was through Hubert. Uh, he, I got the, he, he needed to put a band together. So I called Billy, Dave, and myself. And I think we might have played somewhere else, somewhere before, but we started playing behind Hubert. And it was kind of funny because we're like, you know, here we're, and we all had really, really, we were like, it, it was called Hubert Tubbs and Big Hair. Because all of us had, you know, it was the 80s. Right. Well, it was the tr we're trans transcending into the 90s. So it we was had the 90s, yeah, yeah. big hair. All of us had the big hair. The dawn of the 90s. Yeah. And so we, we were called Huber Tubbs and Big Hair. So we ended up, we we're playing these Tower of Power funk tunes 
like a heavy metal looking band with this black singer. So it was it was actually pretty cool. <laughs> and Hubert Hubert's a sweetheart. He's a great yeah. guy. He Not to mention it. a killer killer vocalist. So that was like our start. So and then we just I'm sorry, go kept on. going from there. Now, so basically, what you're telling me is like you were all like just young musicians playing around L.A. And at this point, like, had you guys gotten? There's something I call a gravy gig, which is like the gig that pays you well. Like yeah. the first gig, like every musician I know, like some people never get their gravy gig. Some people have multiple ones in their career. Mm-hmm. Like the gig that like pays the bills, they can finally buy a house, like get a real woman, <laughs> you know, like have a life. Like so, you guys at that point had you had like success at some level, or were you just kind of scrapping around town? Still waiting on that gravy gig yeah, you're okay. talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I think. Oh, there's been a few back and forth over the years that we've all done. That's part of why we we all got together with this thing is we've always been sidemen on other right. projects and other for other other uh, things some of them were gravy gigs Taras played with Dwight for right. about a million years and Lucinda Williams after that and you know the the yeah you know the rock star gigs and and that and, and uh you know Dave Dave spent most of his time here in LA playing on thousands of albums and you know but we've all toured with with other people, but uh, but yeah, still waiting on that big buy your house, you know, yeah. car gig. Let's I rent yeah. in this town. <laughs> I rent. Who can, who can who can? I mean, I don't know. I don't know a ton of people who own their own their houses in this town. And now, I mean, I showed up kind of relatively late to the game, about fourteen years, fifteen years ago. Yeah. And uh, things have changed drastically. I mean, people mm. I know who had come here before that, before like the big giant housing boom camp happened. Now people, it's happened again. Now it's happening again. Unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, it's uh, crazy. So now I'm assuming, you know, it's palpable to me, like having spent the afternoon with you guys here recording some songs. I mean, you play together you, musically, there's a simpatico, but you like each other. Oh, right? yeah. It's not, that's pretty much what keeps a band together. Now I know, Taras. <laughs> You know, all kidding aside, and there's been lots of uh, blue jokes been thrown back and forth here. But they, you guys generally have an affection we all for one another. Love each other, yeah. It's, yeah. It's, there's a, it's pretty deep. We get along amazingly well. Yeah. It's like I've uh, never, I never worked in an easier situation with where we just, I don't know. It's just, we've never yelled at each other, have we? No, ever. We haven't had a fight. We're about due for our first one. Yeah. Well, I hope we can make it through the next hour. Twenty-five years I hope having so. our first because they're really starting to get on my nerves. Yeah, I can see that. Anyway, all right. So the band is Mojo Monkeys. Uh, you're listening to Independence Day. Check out indepthday.com to hear all of our nearly 200 episodes. We've had lots of great people on there, and I'm honored to have Mojo Monkeys join the family. So thank you, gentlemen, once again. Uh, you guys have a brand new thank record. You. It's yeah, called yeah. Swerve On or Swerve On. Which one Swerve is it? Swerve On. Swerve On. Is it is the accent is on the on? Swerve well, On. I never Swerve really on. thought about I that. Never thought about that. Maybe it is. Yeah. Did Swerve I just blow your mind? On. Swerve On. Swerve anyway, on. all right. Well, the new record. It's either I think Swerve, it's on Swerve On or yeah. Swerve, Swerve On. on. <laughs> and you can pick it up. Uh, and you guys, is it your website? Actually, it's not Mojo. It's monkey. Uh, Facebook.com/slash Mojo Monkeys Music. Uh, is that the best place to find you guys? Or do you do you have MojoMonkeys.com? Oh, MojoMonkeys.com. Okay. Facebook slash Mojo Monkeys. We have Spotify slash Mojo Monkeys. We have iTunes Mojo Monkeys. There's yeah. Uh, what else? More to come. MySpace. <laughs> MySpace. Yeah. Is, is uh, MySpace still around? 
I think it's still I think there. It I don't know. I haven't looked at it. You know. We could look it up. In any case, let's play something from that. We'll come back. We'll talk more about what makes this band tick and, and, and what you do, how you do what you do. So this first song we are going to hear from you guys is called Beat Bus Driver, not Beat the Bus Driver, which is what I had incorrectly written it down as before. Beat so this the is Bus Driver. <laughs> beat the, that's <laughs> the a whole, bus driver. That's a different song. That's an encore. Should, right. should I say something about Beat Bus Driver? Sure. Tell us about it. Yeah, this, this is, is, is the story. story of my life. All right. Let's hear it. Because I'm... A terrible dancer. I don't know how to dance because basically, the whole my whole life I've been driving the bus. You know, everybody's dancing. I'm like playing drums. You he know, never got to learn to dance. So I'm the beat Dude, bus driver. I'm driving the bus, dance. looking at the girls, Isn't that and then sad? you know, all the pretty girls are dancing. <laughs> they might smile at me or something, and then by the time I get my drums packed up, they're all gone. So yeah, they ran off with the guitar player. So yeah. I'm just the beat bus driver. It's because you your instrument is like a little erector set. Everywhere you go, you have to set up the little the little yeah. erector set or big erector set. Lab. Dave's yeah. lab. Yeah, but in the words of the song, you can swing that booty because this bus is plenty wide. There you go. All right. <laughs> Wise words from David Raven. Okay, so this is the band Mojo Monkeys. The song is Beat Bus Driver on Independence Day.
My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. This week's guest, I'm very proud to bring you Mojo Monkeys, Billy Watts, David Raven, Taras, damn it. Prodonyuk. 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 I just got to remember the Don. That's, that's what I got to do. Anyway, I feel like an ass. I thought I practiced it in my head like a million times. He's got the most complicated last name. But it's cool. Everybody remembers it. You know, it's hard to forget Taras Prodonyuk. There you go. You know, you know Joe Armstrong. I'll tell you that. I know. Uh, and when I had long hair, I had Jan Brady hair. So I was like, like triple, double vanilla. <laughs> anyway, all right. This week, so you can learn about the Mojo, or not the Mojo Monkeys. Learn about Mojo Monkeys at mojomonkeys.com. The collective music credits of the three guys in this band could fill a ream of paper. And congratulations to all you guys for like, the great licks, the great work. And thank you for all the great work over the years. Like I've seen some of you in various incarnations over the years. Uh, and you guys are, there's a reason you guys are doing what you're doing and you're still doing what you're doing because you're good at it. So, can, so good, good work. Well, thank I, you. I need to thank hear you, it from Joe. me. But thank you anyway from the, from the music buying public. So uh, this is kind of like the longest, I don't want to call it a side project band, but it's like the longest like, love project or passion project I think I've ever heard of. Um, and it's, again, like I was saying before, the feeling is kind of palpable of how you guys like, relate to each other in terms of chemistry and musical simpatico. Um, what, from your perspective, what would you call this style? Like I already kind of elucidated what I kind of thought it was. What would you call it? We say swamp music. Okay. Uh, swamp. But it's New Orleans music. Basically, it's where funk, country, and blues collide. So, yeah. Yeah. Now, and was this style something that grew out of like one person's idea, or just were you all, like, I was going to say shooting something, but you're all just hanging around talking one day, like, hey, I really like that too. Or did it come about organically? I think it's organic. It's everybody. It's everybody's tapping um, a feel, and we all have a kind of a common groove that we all. That's why we love playing together because there's there's kind of like a a trust of the feel and trust of the groove and trust of the players that evolves the music, and so we all can go to our groovy places. Whether I kind of like a certain feel, I can throw it out, and Dave will pick up on it, and Billy will just throw down. And it and it's nothing like, hey man, why don't you play blah blah blah? It's not we don't talk about that, right? You know, because it just kind of it really emanates from us. It really flows from yeah, us. Yeah, I guess that's what I'm saying. Like yeah. some bands have these like elaborate discussions about nah. well, what we're gonna sound like and what we're trying to accomplish. If anything, and some things if, are organic. Except if anything, it, 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 perhaps when we're writing something and we're you know trying to put an arrangement, you know, that's when we'll discuss something. But as far as feels and the musicality go, it it pretty much. It just pretty much, like I said, evolves yeah. out of Yeah, writing all process kind of says it all. We just get into a room and we just start playing. Like, you know, I'll start a drum beat or Taras will start a bass riff and we'll just kind of fall in. Okay. And then that might evolve a lot of times within one, within an hour or so that it might, might <coughs> coalesce into an arrangement of a song. Yeah. And at that point, I might have a, a, a lyric idea. This is Dave the drummer, by the way. I might have a lyric idea or not, or a melody, but we get sometimes we get a whole track done in a session, and then I'll go back later and yeah. write write the lyrics to it. And Dave, you know, like another famous three piece, like Rush, you write most Rush. of the lyrics, yeah. as I understand, right? Like you're the the Neil Pert of the organization. Yeah, he's our Neil Pert. I'm, I'm not a devotee of Iron. Just Man. just saying. Thank you very much. Is he a Rand guy? Uh, no, yes, he is. 
I know. I read his. Um, he <laughs> he did that uh, motorcycle book, which was kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, Zen he, in the motorcycle. Zen in the something like that. Well, he lost his daughter in a car accident. Oh like God. She was going Ooh. away to college, so she oh. was she was killed. It's a tragic story. Oh God. She was killed. Well, it gets worse. I'm bad. I'm sorry to say this. It gets worse. She died on her way to college, like in a car accident. So she died, and then his wife got sick, terminal illness, and then he lost his daughter, his only child, and his wife. In I don't know three months time or oh six months God. time or something like that, and he was he had always been an avid like touring motorcycle guy, but that would really mess with the person's head, of course, logically. So he he went on this huge cross Canadian and then down into America, all the way down into Central America on a motorcycle, thousands and thousands of miles, and he wrote a book about it. And it's I mean I'm not even really a Rush fan per se, didn't care one way or another, and I'm, I don't even ride a motorcycle, but it was a fascinating road story. Wow. Uh, but did you read it? I did. It was a good read. It was a good read. I would yeah. recommend it, definitely. Yeah. I would definitely yeah. recommend it. I mean, there's yeah. a little bit of like, you know, he is the drummer of a major rock band, so there's some of that mixed in, like, you of know, course, they weren't sure. sure if the band was going to be able to continue. Uh-huh. And I mean, that's a horrible, horrible tragedy. So wait, yeah. Neil writes the lyrics? Correct. Getty Lee doesn't write the lyrics. Correct. Oh, okay. That's why you're the Neil Pert of, the, of Mojo Muckers. That's what I'm telling you, man. Oh. With the exception of no tragedy and motorcycles that. and other yeah. things. Oh, wow. Okay. wow. Tied it all together. But Neil doesn't sing, right? Getty Lee he does, does not sing. Getty Lee does all the singing, as I understand it. We're going to have to ratchet down the Neil Pert bashing. Salesman. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah, well. uh, I, there's so many things I want to ask you guys about. There's so much musical experience in this room. But first, I, want you guys, I don't want to keep people waiting any longer than I have to. What is the first song you guys are going to play? you got your gear set up in here. We have amps buzzing. What's this first track Our, here? Uh, this is Trust, by the way. Argyle and Selma. Tell me a wee bit about this. Davey? Oh, well... This is a groove that we had for a long time, and we kind of wrote it, and I didn't come up with much, and so we made it into a, uh, a track that we hope would get used in TV. It didn't get really used in any TV shows. So then, finally, I got, I don't know where this idea came from, but I, I was just, well, we used to play at this place called the Piano Bar, which is now torn down. Yeah, it's a hole, I think, right now, yeah. right? It's, it's like a just, just hole in the ground? fancy hotel down on, uh, well, near Argyle and Selma, it's on Argyle and uh, Cahuenga, or right in that area. And uh, Hollywood, for those of you who aren't from yeah, California, the heart of Hollywood, honestly. And so I just had these stories about real people living in Hollywood, and kind of, un, you know, like everybody has a, some idea of what Hollywood people are like, and our Hollywood is completely different, yeah, from what people imagine it is. A lot of my Hollywood is the working Hollywood, people that work in film industries and their grips and their stuntmen. They might be actors, small-time actors, yeah. you know, but they're, you know, people that work. They work all right. the time. Um, and then they're, then they're just the kind of people that... Periphery. Like grandma, who, you know, has the Dodgers season tickets and, and yeah. drives up to Chavez Ravine and, you know, she's quite a character. People elsewhere, I run into this coming from the Midwest, and then I have relatives in the South as well. They, they think of people in Los Angeles because, you know, uh, there is so much art here between movies and TV and music. Uh, uh, <laughs> it's just full of freaky people, yeah. you know, and they, they, there's a lot of hating of, of, of L.A. going on, and I just let them hate it because, like, don't come here. L.A.'s full. There's too many yeah, people there already. got enough already. But that said... People forget. I mean, it's a city just like any other city. People yeah. get up, they go to work. There are milk delivery people here. There are teachers and, and 
people, garbage men, garbage people. You know, it's 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 a town. It's a huge. It's a human experience. It's it's just like anywhere else, except the weather's better. So stay away. Yeah, <laughs> that's the moral of the story. Okay, Mojo Monkeys is the band. This week's guest. Uh, this is the song Argyle and Selma. Let's check this out. She's got a bungalow, beats in a garden. She got Dodgers season tickets on the first baseline. She drives a caddy up to Chavez Ravine, but she's back in the car by the bottom of the night. Listening to Vince Scully announce the end of the game on the radio. Betty's shit, so you got to beat the traffic Back down to Hollywood She's just a half a mile Argyle Selma Pretty much a lot like anywhere else Joshua's Telecaster is at the pawn shop on Vine Street. He got into town about four or five months ago, but some gigs fell through. And well, you gotta eat, you know. So Joshua's been working on a farm, trimming buds to get his telly back.
Mojo Monkeys on Independence Day with the song Argyle and Selma, which is kind of an ode to the former piano bar, correct? Something yeah. like that? Yeah. Did, I, did I hear the heart of Hollywood? I'm sorry, yeah. Did I hear that they're reopening or they were thinking about reopening yeah, elsewhere? Yeah, there's going to be a new piano bar over on Las Palmas. I hope it uh, continues its tradition piano of music because that's a cool scene that they've got oh, going there. Yeah. A lot of people show up there. A lot of people... I think the word jam can become a pejorative thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to jam. But it's, it really is. <laughs> no, like, but yeah. the musicians are of a certain caliber. Like, they show up and it's not just... Bum, there's ba-dum, a lot ba-dum, of ba-dum, great ba-dum, musicians ba-dum, in and out of musicians. there. A lot of touring musicians and... And then people would come and sit in. Like I used, to, I would play there every Sunday with uh, Austin Hanks for a while. And Billy Gibbons would come and sit in, yeah. play with us, and just be, just stay in the background and just play really tasty blues. Stuff yeah. Austin and I have been uh, courting each other to be on the show for about four months now. He's been on the road. He's on the road all summer. With right, the right. Easy Easy Top. So uh, one of these days we're gonna get it pulled He's off. But we're, great. We're, in, we're in, we're in, we're in, like we've we're in cahoots. Well, you know, we've like made the connection. But well, when it yet. happens, you're gonna have a good time. Yeah, it's gonna be. I fun. can't wait. We're having a good time now, man. It's been a, it's a good. It's good to hang with you guys. Uh-uh. Likewise, it's, man. It's fun. It's really fun. I mean, I just love nerding about nerding out, talking about music, talking about you know, gear. I love that. I could, the show could be about gear, but nobody wants to hear that show. At least anybody that I know. Uh, all right, so we the great song, by the way, and you, people can find that on the new record called Swerve On or Swerve, Swerve on. on, depending on how you look at it. Swerve on. And we're going to hear that song in a little bit. Or Swerve on. Uh, I dig that tune. It's the first song that like, I really, uh, I really uh, latched onto when you gave me the record uh, not too recent or just uh, not oh, too long cool. ago. Oh, cool. Well, thank you. Dig that. Dig that. Dig that. Dig that. So talk to me a little bit about, like, give me a little bit of your baseball cards. Right, you've all got huge resumes, but like, give me like a quick rundown. Like, where are you from? What got you into music? Was there a person in your family? Uh, David, sure. Start with you. You're staring at me intently. I oh, can tell you've got something okay. cooking. Yeah, I'm the drummer, singer. Um, I, my parents weren't musical at all. Um, as it turns out, my, a bunch of my cousins were on my mom's side, and uh, but. No, there was no like mu- professional musicians. In fact, my dad always said that you know Hank Williams, and uh, he was sorry. His word for a lot of musicians were sorry. He reckoned they were <laughs> as in as in sorry people. You know, or? good good for nothing. You know, <coughs> oh yeah, like, yeah, sorry like people. Like drink drinkers and womanizers and whatever. You know, right. So they were just sorry. So he was afraid I was going to be sorry when I decided to be a musician. So I actually went to college and I studied art. Which, oh, I was going to study music, but then I played in orchestra for like a, a one semester in college, and I would go, I four years of this, I'm going to be bored out of my skull. Yeah, like playing percussion in orchestra is really not a whole lot of fun. It's a lot of standing around and counting measures standing of nothing. Counting empty bars, right? So I bailed and I went over to the art department, which I found really like inspiring and enlightening, and studied art. My dad said, well you should get a, your education degree so that you have something to fall back on. So I did, and uh, but I never used either of those. I never made any money at art, and I never really uh, was a teacher. By the time I got out of college, I was doing sessions. I was doing jingles. This is Minneapolis. I was doing jingles and playing on uh, gospel records, and then I decided to come out here and you know, become a studio musician, and so I did. And here you are. Uh-huh. 
<laughs> he says. Uh-huh. And then I became, I wasn't a singer until I was in my 40s. Okay. You know, Club I, I, I kind of like started singing really late. You know, yeah. I was just a drummer. And, and that's the thing, because you sing the majority of the vocals, lead yeah. vocals at least, in this ensemble. And there's another unique thing about this that doesn't come through. You'll see it in the video. You play what I call the Lunar Lander kit. <laughs> where you stand up at it and you know there's like a it's a cocktail kit is the official name for that right I think they call that well a cocktail kit has this one long floor tom with a boom boom on the bottom oh it's true yeah the, up, the upside down and kick they, drum they sound horrible you yeah. know they really do they, I, I've never heard a cocktail kit that really they look cool they're the coolest looking thing ever it's a great idea it's a great concept sound, they don't sound good so I just have this bass drum that my wife bought from a homeless guy for seven dollars which records phenomenally by it the way it does sound nice it just looks like the you know hell like it's just been yeah dragged through the mud Sounds amazing, Tom says. He now knows. It's been on He's a drummer. He knows. 50 or 60 albums now. Yeah. And then, you know, it's just a broken cymbal and a a, a marching, uh, tom. it used to be yeah. called a tenor drum for yeah. a floor tom. Yeah, it's a, Fra- it's a Frankenstein kit. Yeah. Big time. So. Uh, but it sounds cool, you know, and you play it well. My favorite thing, I didn't notice this, I couldn't tell at the gig the other night, because that's the one unique <laughs> facet about an up, stand-up, drum kit, be it a cocktail kit, Lunar Lander, or your Frankenstein kit, there's no hi-hat. Right. And a hi-hat, you know, the symbol on the left that has a clutch on it that allows you to raise and lower it, and then you get a little bit of sizzle out of it, or keep it closing, it ticks, right? It's yeah, for it's pe- really, this is for people it, who aren't musicians. It, it, hi-hat's really expressive. Because yeah, you, I guess that's what I mean. You can modulate it in yeah, real time, which right, is uh-huh. really, you know, other than choking a cymbal or like pressing on a, a drum right. head, you can't really modulate a whole lot about a drum. Yeah. You can play it louder or softer. Yeah, you control um, the decay with your left foot. And you can you hit it with your right hand, and you, depending on where you hit it, but he doesn't have assembly, one of those. Completely different. Yeah, yeah, and you can also it's do really the closed expressive. hat thing. For this is again, this is for people who aren't musicians. You can go tss, like you can yeah. accent into something yep. rather than like a rest of symbol as a decay instrument, right? Right. Um, but then what you're doing though, you, I didn't notice this the other night. You've got this symbol that looks like it's literally been thrown off the back of the tour van, <laughs> but, but by the way it's angled, it's got a little sizzle in it. If you well, hit it, two, it's almost two, like a half-open hat. Yeah, two symbols together, and one is completely broken. In fact, it's, a piece is about to fall off of it, and then it'll be different. It'll sound different. Yeah. Probably sound just as good. I don't know. We'll find out. Yeah. Well, that's, that's, I like that innovation, or that, yeah. you know, maybe it's just by happenstance, but that allows you to get a little bit of that yeah. kind of sizzle that yeah. you get out of a hi-hat without having to have a hi-hat. Anyway, so Billy, let's jump to you real quick. Let's get, give me oh, your baseball card. You originally a Canadian. Canadian, born in New Brunswick, uh, and then moved to Los Angeles with my family when I was about five years old. Okay, so the two of you, because Taras, you also were brought here with your family too when you were younger, right? Yep. Um, so and then what got you into music? Uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. It, it's for some reason in grade four, I had to be in the school orchestra, and I don't know why. Which but instrument? It, well, the only one they had left was a clarinet. It didn't matter what I played, but I had to be in it, and I still, I still don't know why that is, but they had a clarinet. So my parents rented from the school, I think it was for $5 for the whole school year, a clarinet, and they got me lessons, and, and it seemed like about six months into that, I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan, and... It, you know, it's all over. Is that the end of the clarinet? Kind of. I still have it. I still have Dude, it. Dude, you didn't. You never you told didn't me that. Told us yeah, that. man. I. 
I love clarinet. It's like my favorite instrument. Oh, I'll bring it over sometime. We'll have to oh, write something. It. Oh, man. If you oh. busted that on a gig, people would like... There's some clarinet in pants. the future of the of Mojo Monkeys. There, I can feel it now. Yeah, our next instrumental. So then, okay, so then then you wanted a guitar, I'm assuming, ostensibly, right? right? Then was Coming like out of all that. about that. And, and like, were you the kid? I was just watching a Mark Knopfler video earlier today. Like He, he saw a red Strat in a store window. <laughs> you know, David Gilmore saw a black Strat, and they both eventually got that, that, that coveted like Holy Grail instrument. Did you have like a specific guitar? Because the Beatles had Rickenbackers at that time when yeah, they were right. first starting out. Was, right. What were you into? What was your What was the object of your desire? It it changed because I started so young. It would be like whatever I just saw on TV. Like oh, the Ventures. Whoa, I gotta yeah. have one of those. Let's get Mosrite? one of those Mosrites with yeah. the you know. And then I I got one, and then me and my idiot friend decided that it looked better as a natural finish. So we took it to his dad's shop and took all the stuff off it and made it and it was anyway but there was always one of those like go by the uh, the music store and I, I really had my eyes on this jaguar and i finally got one when i was in 10th grade didn't have it very long but that was my you know that was the one you go by and look at and go oh man i gotta get that I yeah gotta get that then i got it and it wasn't exactly right so you know, it's just been a whole progression yeah. of stuff settling on, you know, what I have now. The uh, my One of my favorite phrases is the, the search for tone nirvana is never ending. Never ending. You know, if you're a musician and you're into the way you sound and you're, you're it's like a constant search. Like you get settled on something for a while. You know, I've had guys in my band. I kid you not. There was a bass player in my band in Chicago. Today's his birthday, coincidentally. Ah, happy it. birthday. Uh, Jason... Uh, Upchurch is his name. Jason. And uh, he would come every rehearsal, which was like once a week, he'd show up either a different bass or a different amp, yeah. having swapped it out yeah. every single week. The search for tone. The search for tone nirvana is never ending. <laughs> Taras, how about you, man? You have like upper Midwestern roots like Jeez early Louise. on. Yeah, my folks came, um, they came from uh, Germany in 52. So, and then uh, I popped out in Minneapolis and my folks then migrated to the beautiful San Fernando Valley of Los Angeles. And um, yeah, it would have been the Beatles 60, what was it, Beatles 64, 62, yeah. 63, 64? The, the Sullivan thing was 64, Yeah, Sol Ed Sullivan was 64. So that was like, whoa, that yeah. kind of turned my head around. Um, and then, oddly enough, my brother got a guitar and I didn't. And um, Older brother, younger brother? Older brother. I have one older brother, and that's it. And um, um, and both of us ended up, I got an acoustic guitar, but he had electric guitar. And um, so I would have been fourth or fifth grade. And um, somehow, I don't remember how it started, but I, copped, I, I stole my brother's guitar, electric guitar, and I borrowed my neighbor's amp. And um, there was a band... It, there, we were called the Coming Distractions, and we played in fifth grade at the PTA. And um, we played "Step." I'm, 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 I'm your stepping stone, and I think it was uh, we did a Yardbirds tune for your love, and uh, and the Monkeys tune for your love, and yeah, stepping yeah. stone. So that was it. And um, and then high school, kind of junior high, high school revolved, and I was still playing with some of the same guys and. You know, we needed a bass player, so I ended up switching to bass. And the first bass I got was a P bass, 
um, and bought it at a, a shop. Now, I'm sorry to interrupt, but was that no. like a short straw thing or like a logical thing? Or were you just like the least technical guitar player in the organization? Cause it Thanks, always, Joe. Like, I'm uh, just, <laughs> just saying. No, uh, some, know, some people do it, it on was, purpose. It was, it was, you know, rhythm guitar player, bass player. All right, we got a keyboard player, got two guitar players, and we got a drummer. It's, I was the obvious choice to switch. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, and, it, and it was kind of cool. And then I got into it. And then for yeah. whatever reason, it, it you know it, it was, you know, it just like it it hit it hit home. Yeah, it. I mean, no disrespect. I mean, all kidding, none, none taken. All kidding aside, like in my first gig, like we, our first gig, we were very. It's uh, the word I'm ambitious about our first right. gig. Our first gig was like a three hour sock hop. Whoa. You know, and it was, you know, we didn't have any originals really, like one or two crappy originals. But like you know, back then, finding a bass player. You know, everybody played guitar. Like every third kid played guitar. Yeah. But like, I, like we, I think that first gig we had one, two, three different bass players. One of which was me, and I was like the lead guitar player because we, we we got like we had like two hours and twenty minutes worth of songs, and couldn't quite get there. But the other guys kind of knew the rest of the songs, and I could play the bass. So then I wound up playing bass on the rest of the songs too. <laughs> so it's you know it's kind of like. You know, it's somebody's got to pick up the garbage. The show you know what I mean? must. The show must go on. The right? show exactly. must go on. Absolutely. Like we, we, these these you know socks must be hopped. They, yeah. We must rock they Batavia must rock. High School gymnasium. Yeah. We have to do this, right? So you know, it's. I mean, that's the funny thing. Like rock bands, like when you're a kid, like everybody just wants to be in the in the rock band. Doesn't yeah. even really matter what you're doing. You know, I would have been just as content to play the basses, the drums, as as whatever. You know, and we had a grand time, and I'm still having a grand time doing it. I'm having a grand time talking to Mojo Monkeys. Uh, why don't you guys play another song? This, I think, the song we've got queued up here, I think, is my favorite song on the new record. It's also the title track. Um, swerve. It's like it's like on. the swerve on. It's like the ballady type thing, but it's not a ballad like power ballad, like a journey ballad, and it's not like a bleeding heart ballad. It's more of a groovy ballad. It's it's like a band ballad. Like the band. Yeah, I'd say that the band. We're I'm a big Levon fan, so this We're is big yeah. Levon addicts. Ode to Levon. Yeah. Bless his heart. Indeedy do. All right, so this is Mojo Monkeys. The song is Swerve On on Independence Day. Papa got a swerve on. Papa got a swerve on. He got a swerve on. He got a swerve on. It's good to see him. Open up or down his gun and got his swerve on. Come on, sing along. Papa said, This see how I planned it. How we got here, I just don't know. Got a swerve. 
whistle Tempers it with self-control But tonight he's going on He's got a swerve on Papa said this ain't how I planned it How we got here I just don't know Let it go Papa got a swerve on Papa got a swerve on He got a swerve on He got a swerve on Papa take your pain aside Even takes a lot of time Get your swerve on. You got a swerve on. My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. Thank you ever so much for doing so. That is Mojo Monkeys, Billy Watts, Dave Raven, or David Raven, and Taras Prodaniuk. Close? Very good. Getting closer. Yeah, you got it this time. By the end of this. So is it Hungarian, German, both? Oh, it's Ukrainian. Ukrainian. Okay, close. It's because my dog is Hungarian. That's what oh, made that, me think there of it. There you go. She's a Vishla, which is the red. They the look Vishla. like uh, Weimariners, except they're orangey, like, oh orange God. colored, rusty colored. Yeah. yeah. Great dog. So she only understands Hungarian. Yeah, Slavic. <laughs> I had to learn some new languages to... I'm kidding. Peristan. Yes. I, I, can't, <laughs> I can't do that in the least. Honestly, she's the sweetest thing in the entire world. I love having her around. Um... So t- tell me about this. Like, music is something you guys have kept at this for a long time, both individually and together. Um, was music, you know, because we kind of got you to the point where you guys were all playing in bands. We figured out how you guys played together. But was it when it became a career choice? Because that's something that not everybody goes through. So many people that I've played with in my history of my musical life and other people that I've known, the people they know, it's like they might be fantastic, but they get to a point where they have to make a choice, right? Mm. And because I know great musicians who are lawyers. They just don't play music. I mean, you know, professionally, they didn't. They didn't yeah. make that extra switch. step or that switch, right? So, what was it like that thing for you guys? Like, what was there something that made you decide that? Is, some we, people are. Some people are just like I, I couldn't picture myself doing it. I don't. Else. We didn't have any other marketable skills. <laughs> We're stuck. I mean, I don't believe that for a second. But go on. Yeah, I guess I could have been a painter. That would have been really probably. Yeah, you were in art school. I went to art school. Yeah, could have taught. You could be a a teacher. You could become a teacher. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, like like all those all those British musicians from the early '60s that went on to like art school. They were all art school guys. Pink Floyd were art school guys. The Rolling Stones. Stones. Wasn't uh, I know? At least Mick was in art school. Mick and Keith. Both of them were. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, there's a great interview in a magazine with. Uh, oh crap! The See, you can't remember his name now. All right, the the great producer. Uh, I'll think of his name in a second. The producer. Glenn Johns. No, no, produced U two and produced. Uh, Phil Ramone. Brian Eno. Brian Eno. Brian Eno. Right. Daniel Lanois. And yeah. he said, he said like there was this point in the '60s where music was always the the domain of the virtuosos, you know, and basically because they had to roll the tape and these guys had to play it and they had to play it right and they had to play it in time and in tune and great right for one or two takes and the singer had to sing great and then along came multi-track recording and in the 60s and then it became the domain of the art school students mm. who went oh i can do that let's flip the tape over backward and yeah. let's you know and it it all of a sudden and music took a huge turn at that point because you didn't have to be a virtuoso but you right. could still be artistic. But and you could create, really make really cool music, you know, using the technology, which is really limited. Like compared right. to today, it was nothing. Yeah. But still. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was a, a huge shift, seismic shift. You well, know? and it continued to shift. I mean, look at in the last fifteen years what the technology. You know, I was just talking with Gosh, who was this? Paul Lax, actually. Yeah. We were talking about mm -hmm. how the electric guitar and, by extension, the electric bass hasn't really. There hasn't been a new development. No. Really? No. Since 1952 yeah, or so? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah, like all changed. the technology that the kids are still learning to play with now, the tuners, the, the scale length, the pickups, the humbuckers, the, you yeah. know, like, I guess you could make the case that maybe the Floyd Rose tremolo, you know, the Eddie Van Halen style thing yeah. that stayed in tune and locked down allowed a new thing which launched a thousand ships. Maybe. But... Yeah. Other than that, you know, the basic pedals and all the basic stuff's been all the same well, look stuff at the, all the along. The snare drum I'm using on these songs is from the 1920s. Right. So yeah, drums were perfected eons before that even. Yeah, drums Except for the double really kick drum pedal, Dave. <laughs> it was before the days of plastic heads. That was probably the big, the big <laughs> shift, you know. But, yeah. you know, there were calfskin heads. But my, my drum, most of the drums I use, snare drums anyway, are from the 1920s. So they haven't really improved. Uh, talk to me about how you guys go about writing. Because I know, David, you write the lion's share of the lyrics, and you guys kind of talked before about how you kind of, I say there's that, I don't want to say the pejorative version of jam, but you kind of get together and jam. But first of all, this is yeah. a short aside. Like, given how busy you guys are with your respective careers playing for folks, like, how often do you guys get together to do this? Is this something you show up on a Sunday afternoon? Like, well, let's play some. It's usually Tuesdays. Okay, so it's a regular. Is it a regular well, thing? Well, not necessarily. I think like the first thing, the first thing we started off with way back in the day, um, we all got in. We'd go to Dave's house. It's always going to Dave's house. We go to Dave's house and um, have more beer than those. Guys. Yeah, and Dave, we'd hook up the p and we just start playing, and then we just kind of would come up with. We kind of carved the tune out. And we started building like a small body of songs. Consequently, the first record came out of that. Um, and then when Dave got Pro Tools, we the, the the our formula kind of changed. Whereas we'd there'd be days, you know, I Billy would be off the road, or I'd be off the road, or Dave would be in town, and there would be a lining up of the calendars where there'd be a couple days in in the month where we'd be available. And so we'd get together over days, and we would just throw these. We would write songs, basically, but we would write songs with essentially chord changes and grooves. And um, and then Dave would have them in the box, Pro Tools, and then kind of put lyrics to them. 
and then if he had to put addendum, you know, clip a chain, yeah. clip a verse or section there, he would do it in the box. And so consequently, we kind of started working with that t technology. And that's for the last three records. It's last two records. How many we got? This three. Three, three that I count. Three. Yeah. That's the, the, the last two. That's how it, that's how it's rolled. Yeah. And it, you know, and it works out great. Technology is funny that way because people think of technology as being cutting edge. You know, even I used to make the joke about the space shuttle, but now the space shuttle is antiquated technology. Yeah. Long gone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But music, you know, music is uh, technology of music has always been there. You know, Les Paul brought us multi-track right. recording, and then people ran with it and did crazy things. You know, different people invented electric guitars, but then Jimi Hendrix ran with it. You know, and David Gilmour ran with it, and people did all these things. Um, but technology is simple as you know, a tuner is technology. Technology is just anything that allows you to do something you couldn't do before, or that assists you in doing something you couldn't have done in a different way. Is that, right. Am I making sense with that? No, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. totally. Um, and now we're at a place where we we can you know you can use these powers for good, or we can use these pow power for naught or yeah. for evil, right? And yeah. I it's, it always makes me happy to see people using it in a creative way. Right. I remember the first. I remember ADATS. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, it's oh, an eight-track yeah. per box digital recorder that recorded yeah. on which were essentially turbocharged VHS tapes. This was yeah. te technology from early '90s mm -hmm. or so, and they were around for. It was like a bridge between analog tape and nonlinear in-the-box right, yeah, computer that was hard the drive bridge recording. To it, yeah, yeah. And they were in immensely frustrating. Oh, immensely. Waiting for them to sync, but they. That was the first time I remember reading an article in one of the guitar magazines that the band Queensrÿche had all moved to different cities and they were recording a new album by sending by ADAT sending tapes. By sending each other the cassettes, yeah. Because yeah. it was, now you yeah. literally can email someone a file. Yeah. Yeah, right. You don't have to send anything. Mm -hmm. But like, so they would, they would um, just real quick, they would, they would like, you know, one guy would record some drums and then send the tape to this other guy in Seattle who would then add a couple parts and then send it to the other guy in Cleveland or wherever the hell he was. It's, it, it's just, it was a way, a new way of doing things. And now, look at us. It's like a global village, basically. Yeah. I mean, you know, you could be, you could cut tracks for some guy in Germany and send it to him. And, you know, you're doing, you're, you're working on someone's album that way. Yeah. But there still is a thing when you get, there is, the, the, there is that human element. That magic right. of. You get, you know, folks in the room in looking room. at each other and yeah. kind of sensing each other's yeah. vibe yeah. And, yeah, yeah, and, great, and essence. Great musicians. A lot of what makes them great is that they have big ears and they listen. And they're intuitive. Intuitive. And like yeah. so they'll start playing something and they'll immediately hear what the bass player or the guy next to him is doing and they'll react and they'll they'll shift, you know, to 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 play something complimentary. It's right. amazing. I, I, I never I never get tired of working with great musicians because yeah. they, they're just they do, they adapt, they they improvise, but there's this sort of they're just listening, yeah. just in tune with what whatever you're doing and, and vice versa. And it's like a it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It really is. The science bears this out. Like they've done studies of studying brain waves of brain musicians waves, when yeah. they're playing. And they literally, quite literally, line up and people's brain waves align mm -hmm. when you're playing or singing together. And it's fascinating because I feel like as musicians, we always knew that. We always felt that. Like there's people, right. and, it's, and with some people, it works a little better than others. Obviously, it works very well with you guys. Otherwise, you wouldn't be playing two and a half decades on, right? But there's been a handful of musicians in my life where I figured out very quickly when I started playing with them that I could do things musically and not say what I'm doing, and they would know what I was going to get do. It. Right? Yeah, yeah, get it. yeah. Be almost before I did it. You know, it's like mm -hmm. some of it's like body language. Okay, I'm going to the four chord now. 
right? Mm-hmm. And you lift the yes. neck of the guitar, like you move strange, you kind of give them a look, right? Right, or an but eyebrow. But sometimes, yeah, an eyebrow. So all these, we've got all these kind of like nonverbal cues, but sometimes it's a whole, and you guys, I know you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. There's an other level thing that I couldn't possibly explain. It doesn't happen with all musicians, not least no. with me. And there's three people I can think of in my life that's like that. Yeah. They just know where I'm going, and I know yeah. where they're going. And, and you don't even have to look at each other, right? Yeah. yeah. You do, it, it's the strangest yeah. language. Like, I love we, the language of music. It's a language that, you know, you can speak, like uh, Taras, you were saying. It's a global thing. Like, you yeah. can play with a musician who doesn't even speak your spoken language. Correct. Might even think in a different language. But music, all those numbers right. and all those frequencies, they're the same everywhere. Right. You know, different people divide up the octave. 12 yeah. notes, 24 notes, five notes, what have you. But still, it's vibrations. Yeah. Vibrations, for, man. And like I say, for us, it's, it was really immediate, really special sort of connection that we had when we were back when we were playing with Hubert Tubbs. And uh, that's when we made it in. But the other factor is there is that vocabulary, the musical vocabulary that we all share because we've all listened to the blues and the Rolling Stones. And so there is, we speak the same language even if, if it's not English, you know. Yeah. Musical language. How about another song? What's okay. next? Tuscaloosa, Tus- maybe. Woohoo! Tuscaloosa, maybe. Like, tell me, this is, uh, there's references to many places in the South and this having heard this song. Is there more to it than that? Is there an ulterior motive or well, is there a, a hidden, I, I, it's, hidden it's thing? A, it's a song, I, hopefully, it's a hopeful song about people in, in the South, and I'm from the South, you know, about us growing up and getting on the bus with Rosa Parks. And 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 not living in our little white bubbles and lamenting the fact that we don't rule the country anymore. You know, this is embracing the diversity. You know, celebrate the diversity. Yeah, Yeah. boy, that's a message we could really use in our country uh, in this year. I have to say, sadly, sadly, Sadly. it keeps proving us. Uh, I was going to say, uh, horrifically human over and Shockingly. over again. Shockingly and disturbingly human over yeah. and over again. So, And that's the other thing about music. I don't know... I mean, I guess there are some violent musicians, but like most musicians I know, with the yeah. exception of maybe driving on the freeway, they're agreed. <laughs> you know, they've got their, everyone's got their attitudes and everyone's got their good days and bad days. But man, like if I get in a room with a musician, I can always find something to talk about. Sure. Yeah. You yeah. know, like, oh, you don't like Rush either? <laughs> <laughs> I kid. We I love kid. Rush. I kid. I kid. I kid. I kid. Uh, all right. So this is this. Is it Tuscaloosa or Tuscaloosa Maybe? What's Tuscaloosa it? Maybe. That's what I thought. Okay. Tuscaloosa Maybe. The band is Mojo Monkeys on Independence Day.
Monkeys on Independence Day. That is the song Tuscaloosa Maybe, right? Did I get that right? You did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tuscaloosa Maybe. I forgot the Maybe. I had to write that on my thingamajig there. Uh, gentlemen, thank you. Such great work. Thanks, such man. Such great work. We were kind of talking about this earlier. Like, it's such a great thing to hear musicians who are playing together because they love it and because they love each other. And they, they, they it's, it's like a, I don't want to say like, it's, it sounds dopey to say it's a love fest, but it's like you do this particular ensemble because you like each other and because you like yeah. playing music and you like playing music together. It's a labor of love for sure. Yeah, I mean, all musicians to some extent do it as a labor of love because, you know, there's the few at the top, you know, who, yeah. who make a lot, of, a lot of money. Right. And there's a lot of us kind of in the middle, like working musicians, right. work-a-day yeah. people who are mm-hmm. actually going out and doing what they do, you know, physically with your hand. And that's another thing. I meant to touch on this before when we were talking about music, but, you know, mus- being a musician is like a... It's... It's it's a craftsman's art. You're still using yep. your hands, yeah. right? Tactile thing. It's a tactile mm-hmm. thing. It's you tactile thing. You are playing right. an instrument with your hands or your breath, or if you're singing, mm-hmm. it's coming out of you personally. You know, there's you, we right. use a mouse to record it. Sure, there's that technological aspect to it, but it's still a real thing, like a craftsman would do. Yeah. Right. You know, because so many things now, it seems to be, you know, people used to joke about pushing paper around in a dead end job, but now you're not even pushing paper. Yeah. You're just right. pushing just ones and zeros keys around. And zeros, yeah. Infinite numbers of ones and zeros. Yeah. Anyway, we were kind of talking about this before, um, you know, why we do what we do and how much the music business has changed. Right. And you guys, as myself, myself included, but you even more than me, straddle that line of technology when the, like the bottom fell out of the music business and yeah. how much things have changed. Tell me from your experience, like having ridden through that wave, because you're still making a living at doing this. Yeah. Right. Like, how did you how did you like get through that wave or like just expound like we were talking before, expound about the music business. It's, it's changed a lot. You know, Taras, you had some theories about how it may not be the same or it won't be the same. And it's like right. that quixotic thing about being a musician. Uh, you know, um, oh, I had a thought and I just turned senior citizen. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, we were talking before about how the music business, there were you know, young players who like get the gigs with the big bands and how maybe that I, won't be around like it used to I be. I was talking to a good friend of mine who's got a, you know, he's got a real high high profile gig and he's been doing it uh, probably 10, 15 years. And this artist is... You know, he's a, a known rock singer. And, it's, you know, it's, he's not going to be doing it that much longer. And for the baby boomers, which we are, you know, um, the that era of of employment, whether as being a side guy, you know, it's just going to, it's going to, it's going to go away eventually. You know, because I just can't see the music business staying a, the money is not there that it once was. It's not providing yeah. the income is not right. 
as you know, the because industry is it, the industry's tanked. Thank you. There's, Basically, the money's been cut in half. If yeah. if it if there's any money at all, in the entire I mean, the entire industry, the right? Mu the music industry is. So the only way that you actually make money, at least for our folks, our side of the thing, is like it's not record sales or anything like that. It, it's doing gigs. It's like right. physical work. Granted, we do sessions and we do stuff like that. <clears throat> but then, for example, you know, we're all union guys. So there was a period of time when we could do jingles and we would get royalties off the jingles. And, you, you know, the, it, you know mailbox money is sweet. It adds up. Well, that's pretty much gone by the wayside, whereas, you know, it's just a buyout. You just pay X amount of dollars. They'll pay you X yeah. 500 bucks, 200 bucks, cut a track, and boom, you know, they're going to put it on the... T on, on yeah, and people doing music for reality shows are yeah. getting paid <laughs> just ridiculously low amounts yeah. and no royalties, you know. Right. Even the composers now don't even get... Right. They get buyouts, really low ball buyouts. Right. Because the... I mean, look at it. Reality TV show is a low-ball industry. It's, it's yeah. slimy, and the producers are... They're going to milk it for whatever they can. Someone, and there's, look no, what it is. there's no artistic yeah. integrity in reality shows. Look you know? what reality TV has wrought upon our country at large now. Oh, my mm -hmm. God, yeah. Now, we don't, I don't oh want to go down that road. That's right, a whole yeah. different podcast, which right. he, we can do that podcast after this one. We can right. rant about that for a while. It's a complete other conversation. But... but there's a dark side to this technology. Like, I don't want to say that it's all bad because it's not. Mm -hmm. It has allowed us to do incredible things. It's allowed us to communicate people in ways we never could before. Like, now when you go on tour, like, even in my life, when I went on tour, I didn't have a cell phone. Right. If I wanted to call my mom, my dad, my girlfriend, my dog, whatever, like, I had to go to a payphone, yeah. monkey around with that. With a bag or, full of quarters. Bag full of quarters. Or if I was in the hotel room, like they charge you, you know, through the nose and out the ass yeah. for, you know, I had a little calling card that I kept everywhere that I got billed uh -huh. for. Um, and now you can reach your wife, girlfriend, mom, dad, dog, kids, whatever, instantly. <laughs> yeah. By texting, by phone, you can send them a video. You can live stream wherever it is you are right now. Yeah. But the dark side to that technology, to this is this kind of to Taras's point, is that like you said, you don't get paid for those sessions anymore. Now, like I, I first saw it in the voiceover world. There's yeah. something called Voice One, Two, Three, where you're, or there's a few of them, but you're competing <laughs> with anyone with a mic and a laptop right. in the country. And the same goes for your music skills. You know, for a lot of those gigs, if it's an overdubbing gig for some jingle, there's some kid in Grand Island, Nebraska Look with a $200 P bass. Yeah. yeah, for $200 P bass and an M box can do that part. And there's thousands of those kids out there mm -hmm, it yeah. doesn't mean they have the skill level and the artisanship mm -hmm. or uh what am i looking for like the experience experience <laughs> thank you billy uh that you guys have having done this your whole lives and i think that's something that's t we've kind of lost in technology is the ability to tell the difference between those two things yeah, right it's yeah because you can you can build a track, you, you know. I could, I could, I played guitar on tracks, and I'm a horrible guitar player just because I can edit, you know. Yeah. That said, I don't let anybody tell me that the, the kids can't play. There, I, I have a lot of friends, and recently been working with a lot of musicians who are generally right around thirty, who are great musicians. Yeah. Who can like. A lot of that is music schools. They go to schools and yeah. they, they have great teachers and they're 
they, they had the kind of guidance that we didn't have. We kind of had to discover on our own. So they get them to second and third base in the time, you know, it took us right. just to get to swing the bat, you know. Yeah. Um, so they, they're, they're, they're ahead of us, you know, a lot, a lot of these young musicians, and they're brilliant. And that's not just their technical proficiency. There are a lot of young guys who play yeah. musically tasteful right. and like simple and like you know I'm I'm constantly amazed especially in this town yeah. this this city is always a magnet like this LA Nashville yeah New, New York, York to a certain New extent. York like just magnets for people all over the country who come here I know that yeah. a bunch of guys from Michigan oddly enough I've never even yeah you know but who young guys who are like Great, great musicians. Yeah. I think the desire is still there. And I also think that we've reached now, we're kind of maybe a generation or at least a half a generation, three quarters of a generation into like everyone having what I call the full width and breadth of the human experience in your pocket. Yeah, yeah right. right. Oh ten years. Yeah. We're ten years into the iPhone now, right? Right. And you know, the iPod was even before that by a few years. And it changed everything about the way we consume music, for better or for worse. It doesn't even matter. It's changed. Yeah, it right? is. Uh, we've been disassociated from certain things. And it was mm -hmm. the novelty at first. I remember being on tour. Like, I was on tour, and the tour manager was sitting next to me. We were flying a 7... I was, for the only time in my life, I was in the upper deck of a 747. <laughs> yeah. We were flying... I was so excited about that, because I got to go up that little spiral staircase. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we... And we were flying from, I think whatever the southern town in Japan is, Osaka, I think, to uh, Osaka. Brisbane, Australia. And it was an overnight flight, and I was looking down at yeah. thunderstorms over like the... it's 10 hours, isn't it? It's about that, yeah. It was yeah. an incredible experience. I that one. And like, you know, this was at that age when I still had my disc man that played uh, compact disc. Yeah. And yeah. so like, I wanted to change my album. So I, you know, I monkey around underneath my seat, and I pull out my disc man, yeah. and I pull out my pull case out logic thing CDs, with like 50 yeah. CDs in there. It weighs like 10 pounds. I'm flipping through there. And the tour manager whips out of his pocket something Good. the size of a pack of cigarettes. And he goes, broop, broop, broop. And he puts it back in his pocket. I was like, ah, I know where all my per diem money is going as soon as I get back to the States. And right. I bought an iPod and never looked back. Uh -huh. But my point of that whole aside is that... What am I, I going to do with my CDs? Well, <laughs> that too. But I, we, got we got disassociated from our music, but I think that at the pendulum in some ways has kind of swung back the other way. Look at the resurgence of vinyl. People mm -hmm. still want to have a tactile experience, right. especially with music, because it's, it's part of us, and that art, that cover art is part of it. But do and you actually think that it's, it's, it's a part of us, or is it just kind of a retro? It's kind of like, well, man, that's like a 55 Chevy. It's kind of the, let, you know, the good old days were good. But so does it matter? Me, I guess not. Does but it I, matter? It just, I like, guess I, the question is, you know, it's, was it the chicken or the egg? Yeah. Do you know? <laughs> I, mean, I totally see your truth, point. But, but uh, like, <laughs> even look at like some younger bands. You know, there's a lot of its technology. But I mean, I know lots of young musicians, too. And there mm -hmm. are kids, man out there my new band i call them the millennial falcons because they're both under 30. wow yeah. and a lot of people you know they say bad things about it's, it's easy it's low-hanging fruit to make fun of the millennials yeah, as, yeah. and on one hand like look they're exactly as the their older generations made them to be if there's someone tells you you're special every single day of your life what do you think you're going to be you're going to yeah. think you're special so that's not even their fault but yeah. th that said these guys are working their asses off they're yeah. out there hustling to find gigs they're out there talking to the older musicians, trying to figure out how to do what they do. They yeah. look up to guys like you, and even right. guys like me to a certain extent, yeah. kind of halfway between the generations. <clears throat> and like, 
people give them a bad rap, but man, I see people working very hard for fewer opportunities. Yeah, yeah, you know? I, I agree with the fewer opportunities. Well, That's yeah, most when, definitely. when we when we were young, gigs paid a hundred bucks. Yeah, now, now they, they still pay. Now they still pay. They still pay. Forty years later, man, I was, yeah. remember like, being eighteen playing Sansui's. Yeah. Uh, a biker yeah. bar in the San Fernando Mal in the San Fernando Mal excuse me San Fernando Valley making fifty bucks it hasn't changed. Yeah. yeah, right. It's it's just like I feel like young guys, and there were a lot more just sessions. I think when, yeah, when we were younger, like demo sessions and stuff where you could make uh, you know okay money. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. David, you were the first person in the band to be replaced. Because as soon as, you know, I still remember the first guy I knew had a Roland TR-808. Yeah. Brought right. it into high school on a on lunchtime. He plugged it into his Carvin half stack. Yeah. And we were all like, oh, yeah. wow, what's this thing, you know? Sounds like a drummer. Now, and he's in time. Does it sound like a drummer? <coughs> yeah. And, yes and, and he no. has no ego. He has no ego. And he's going <laughs> to show up. He's like, oh, I'll just play the beat here. I don't need yeah, to don't, do don't, a fill. Don't play a bunch of fills. Uh, don't and play then, those cymbals. You know, just a couple years later, in my dorm room at Berkeley, some kid had an Alesis SR-16, which is like the poor man's version of the 808. Yeah. And he was doing demos in his little yeah. dorm room with right. a cassette, yeah, sure. four-track, and all this stuff. So that was like the first thing to like be replaced. And then it was kind of like bass, and then it was horns, and it was strings. TR-808. Mm -hmm. You know, and it... it it all just 303, I think. Yeah, there's a 909 somewhere in there too. Anyway, uh, but here we are, all these years later. Music still exists. People are still playing music. People are still, you know, guitars aren't selling like they used to. No. But people are still doing it. You know, there's still a desire. And I, I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm a foolish optimist in, in some regard, but. People still go to see live music, and as long as people will go to see live music, that's not a DJ. With his laptop, that's that's not sexy to me. Yeah, um, right. Seeing people, you know, whether they're rocking out or they're but they're playing real things, like there's a desire for that, and I I, I think in some sense there always will be. There has to be. It's a human. Mm -hmm. It's that brainwave thing. You don't get the brainwaves any other way. You yeah. know, I bet it would be hard to put those things on an entire audience at a show because you we've all been at shows and some of us have played shows where you could feel the band you guys were talking oh before. God, yeah. You're all on the same wavelength. And then the audience feels it too. Yeah. And like, the, you know, Grateful Dead is probably the best example of that. I'm not saying good, bad, or otherwise, whether I'm even a fan or not. But it was a, it was a collective that experience collective, that got documented yeah. over and over and over and over again yeah. so that those deadheads know which of those shows. Like, oh, yeah, Oakland on Coliseum in December of 82 or yeah. whatever. Right? It's a legendary show, but th that's why. You know, it's what, a real thing. That brings up an interesting point. The Grateful Dead... Uh, they and they would themselves say that it wasn't just about them, the yeah. band on stage. It was about everybody in the room. Yeah, this, I think this is the whole thing with electronic music. It's not about the guy, the guy up there with the laptop, or maybe he's doing turntables. There, I know some turntablists that are awesome. Or she, but it's about it's about everybody in the room and about the whole vibe. Yeah. and I, I think and I I get it. I get I get why people like going to DJ driven. Uh, concerts because it's not just about what's happening on stage it's about everything that's in the room the people right. us you know right and I don't I'd like to make it clear like I don't mean to be derogatory about what mm -hmm. they do it is an art form right. I can't do that I yeah. could learn to do that I suppose it doesn't excite me like a live music with live musicians does but that's most certainly an art form right. it's most certainly something that had to be invented and something that's 
right. you know, boundaries and are pushed and people. Practiced and. Certainly yeah. a lot more, like, as you say, it's. Uh, m manual skill involved yeah. and you know i mean uh, you know it's pretty easy to manipulate uh, sounds with a laptop they're using technology in different ways yeah but uh, but it, it's an art at the same time it's yeah. the, not it's not the skill isn't really the important thing the, what's important is the art form yeah i agree and that i want to be inclusive about that and i like i, I say this all the time on the show cuz technology comes up a lot and it's easy to demonize and i'm a big fan of ray bradbury and i'm a big fan of you know the holy trilogy of dystopian novels, which are so prescient, <clears throat> so really, yeah. so important in 2017. Yeah, uh, the Huxley and the Orwell and the Bradbury. Yeah. Um, but I, as long as we have beating hearts and as long as we have brainwaves that can be shared, there will be some desire for people to get together and do that. I think I yeah, have I to believe so. that. Because if, really, if we've lost that, we've lost everything. I really hope so. I hope so too. Anyway, I want to guys play one more song. Before I was going to say, usually I say I kick you guys out of here, but you're going to kick me out of here today. Because right. uh, this is a field trip episode. But tell me one thing before you guys play this last song. Tell me, is like, maybe it's something that's never been kind of, there's not like a mission statement for Mojo Monkeys. But like, you guys have talked a lot about, yeah, you want to like, you groove and you guys yourselves are kind of getting off musically. But like, what are you delivering to your audience when you go to see a Mojo Monkeys show? Like, what, from your perspective, what are you giving them? Fun. Yeah. That's right. There yeah, you go. Fun. That's the, that's the like we don't encapsulate it. For we don't shy away from being a dance band. We love we love dance. dance. Oh yeah, because like, we're uh, so much about the groove and and like when people are dancing, it's it's kind of like then it, it comes alive, and and it's like yeah, I think we're a lot of fun. We we enjoy playing, and hopefully that joy that we experience like comes across to the audience. Yeah, that it translates everything we're experiencing yeah. with all three of us that it comes across in the music and the grooves. Having seen it, it does. I would like to see you guys play somewhere where people have, I mean, I was going to say have lowered inhibitions, and I don't mean just a bar. I mean like a place, you know, a people, people don't dance. Strip club. People, <laughs> right, right. people uh, well, people don't dance. Like they, like I figure they once did, it seems. Like. Right, no, I right. would like to go to a, a place, like I would love to go see a big band, like a real big band place yeah. where people like dance. Like really dance, dance. Really dance. And I myself, I think that would be yeah. awesome. You know, I don't want to go to a place where it's springs. like, yeah, everyone's yeah, place up in Portland. Bunch of wallflowers. Yeah. Crystal Ballroom. Crystal Ballroom. There's yeah. a place in Vancouver that has a spring floor, uh, spring, uh, like dance, dance floor, floor as well. Yeah, that's so I towed cool the wet one. sprocket there in like you 1994. Yeah, wow. nice. Not exactly a dance band. <laughs> it was an interesting experience. Uh, good guys, good music. Uh, so our last song. What is this last one? Guys? Well, it's it's good because it's get gone. get gone. Get gone. And tell me a wee bit about it before tune. you rock us out with this. What's, what? What? The song. Tell me about tell it. Us about get gone. Oh, baby. get gone. Or make something up. I don't care. <laughs> uh, well, I will say that that uh, uh, this song I wrote. Or I guess Billy and I and, and a guy named Greg Sutton wrote this song. Greg is a great, great songwriter. He's he wrote among other things like eight six seven five to you. Tommy Tune, Tone. And he is a he's a beautiful human being. He's a he's a Brooklyn Jew. Now lives here in the Miracle Mile, like right in my neighborhood. And uh, it's just an amazing musician, amazing singer. Like sings like. Same. A Brooklyn Jew who sings like Otis Redding. Like, if you hear his voice, you think this is... A bl Brooklyn this is Jew that sounds like Otis Redding. It is Eight, awesome. Six, seven, five. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, I can't we've do been a Brooklyn. A, I lived in New York for a year. I can't do a Brooklyn Jewish accent. We've been friends for a long time. So, he said, let's write a song together. And I got this idea, like, I'm about to get gone. Um, and uh, he just came up with a bunch of 
you know, chords, and then Billy came up with the guitar riff, and yeah, it just kind of coalesced into this really fun, fun song. Really quick before we play it, one thing I want to say too that I, I admire about what you guys do is you, it's, it's a collective thing. Mm -hmm. You guys write together in some way. Definitely. You, you collaborate, yeah. right? So many bands, myself included, like I kind of write songs and I bring them to people. And I definitely want the imprint of what other people bring to what it is that I'm doing. I love that. It's my, sure. one of my favorite parts. Collaboration. Uh, some, sometimes I have a really kind of strong idea and other times it's like it's I, have no idea what, yeah. I have no idea what this baseline should be. You know, I try to surround myself with as good of players as I can get and show me what you, what you can do, what you can add to this. But I wish I had the time or the resources to have an actual collaborative environment. I haven't had that in years. Oh, it's, it's the best. So much fun. Yeah. It's the best. So much man. fun when you're all on the same page and doing what you do. Let's hear the Mojo Monkeys do this. This is the song Get Gone from their brand new record, Swerve On, on Independence Day. A one, two.
Mojo Monkeys. You guys have to go see them play live. Go to mojomonkeys.com. Check out their schedule. They're up. At, you've got kind of a regular thing at Ireland's? Yeah, Ireland 32. But you've got a regular thing going we, on at Ireland. We play once a month there. Yeah, yeah. and then you play to. around other folks, too. You were just at a new place in Glendale called the San Fernando. Yeah. Uh, and you guys go on tour, too. You guys were we in Europe not we're, too long ago? We're about yeah, to go we're... back over to Switzerland and, and uh, Germany and do some stuff over there. Yeah. We're Tell me with the brand new record, like what's you know you guys have been at this a pretty long while. Like what's what's the next thing? And you've got a brand new record, but touring, promoting the record. Yeah, what's coming up? Yeah, well we're just play anywhere we can. We Get can a play. Hey, whoever will have us. In yeah, that's end. what I was saying. Any, any play for anyone that'll listen. That's right. That's hey. my thing. So I can't thank you guys enough for taking time, and David, especially you, for opening up your home. Uh, it's been you guys have welcomed me with open, open arms and it's very much appreciated from one musician to another from another human to another from a radio person podcast person to other people thank you for taking the time I know you guys are busy I know there's a million things you could have been doing this afternoon so it meant a lot that you are sharing this with me and my listeners I appreciate that so very much and Joey thank thanks you, for having us we really appreciate it it's great uh, and thank you very much and it's been my pleasure please stay in touch go see a Mojo Monkey show I know I will be there hopefully it'll be one of those places maybe I'll get six or eight gin and tonics in me and I'll be one of those people out there uninhibited <laughs> and dancing in front of the crowd so <laughs> thanks to Mojo Monkeys also the Independence Day staff Dale Tanks Wayne Topinski and Sally Shackleton. An extra special thanks to Tom Philman for audio engineering assistance and to David Raven for co-piloting the mixes for this week's episode. The well-heeled Tony Tonelok Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. As always, for Independence Day, I am Joe Armstrong. Don't blow out your voice yelling at the umpire at a Cubs game, and please be good to one another. <laughs>